Jesus Begins Public Ministry, Part 1 Jesus on His Way to Hebron Jesus went through Nazareth and going from Capernaum to Hebron, passing through the indescribably beautiful country of Genesareth and by the hot baths of Emmaus. These baths were on the declivity of a mountain, about an hour's distance further on from Magdalene in the direction of Tiberias. The meadows were covered with very high, thick grass, and on the declivity stood the houses and tents between rows of fig trees, date palms, and orange trees. The road was crowded, for a kind of national feast was going on. Men and women, in separate groups, were playing for wagers, the prize consisting of fruit. There Jesus saw Nathanael, called also Chesed, standing among the men under a fig tree. Just at the moment when Nathanael was struggling against a sensual temptation that had seized him and was glancing over at the women's game, Jesus passed and cast upon him a warning look. Without knowing Jesus, Nathanael was deeply moved by his glance and thought, That man has a sharp eye. He felt that Jesus was more than an ordinary man. He became conscious of his guilt, entered into himself, overcame the temptation, and from that time kept a stricter guard over his senses. I think I saw there also Naphtali, known as Bartholomew, and that a glance from Jesus touched him also. Jesus journeyed with two of his young friends to Hebron in Judea. They did not remain faithful to him. They separated from him. But after his resurrection, converted by his apparition on Mount Tabez in Galilee, they once again joined his followers. In Bethania, Jesus visited Lazarus, who looked much older than Jesus. He appeared to me to be fully eight years his senior. Lazarus had large possessions, landed property, gardens, and many servants. Martha had her own house, and another sister named Mary, who lived entirely alone, had also her separate dwelling. Magdalene lived in her castle at Magdalene. Lazarus was already long acquainted with the Holy Family. He had, at an earlier period, aided Joseph and Mary with large alms, and, from first to last, did much for the community. The purse that Judas carried, and all the early expenses, he supplied out of his own wealth. From Bethania, Jesus went to the temple in Jerusalem. Part 2. The Family of Lazarus The father of Lazarus was named Zerah, or Zerah, and was of very noble Egyptian descent. He had dwelt in Syria, on the confines of Arabia, where he held a position under the Syrian king, but for services rendered in war, he received from the Roman emperor property near Jerusalem and in Galilee. He was like a prince, was very rich. He had acquired still greater wealth by his wife Jezebel, a Jewess of the sect of the Pharisees. He became a Jew and was pious and strict according to the Pharisaical laws. He owned part of the city on Mount Zion, on the side upon which the brook near the height on which the temple stands flows through the ravine. But the greater part of this property he had bequeathed to the temple, retaining, however, in his family some ancient privilege on its account. This property was on the road by which the apostles went up to the Senecal, but the Senecal itself formed no longer a part of it. Zero's castle in Bithynia was very large. It had numerous gardens, terraces, and fountains, 
and was surrounded by double ditches. The prophecies of Anna and Simeon were known to the family of Zerah, who were waiting for the Messiah. Even in Jesus' youth, they were acquainted with the Holy Family, just as pious, noble people are wont to be with their humble, devout neighbors. The parents of Lazarus had all fifteen children, of whom six died young. Of the nine that survived, only four were living at the time of Christ's teaching. These four were Lazarus, Martha, about two years younger, Mary, looked upon as a simpleton, two years younger than Martha, and Mary Magdalene, five years younger than the simpleton. The simpleton is not named in Scripture, not reckoned among the Lazarus family, but she is known to God. She was always put aside in her family and lived altogether unknown. Magdalene, the youngest child, was very beautiful, and even in her early years, tall and well-developed, like a girl of a more advanced age. She was full of frivolity and seductive art. Her parents died when she was only seven years old. She had no great love for them, even from her earliest age, on account of their severe fasts. Even as a child, she was vain beyond expression, given to petty thefts, proud, self-willed, and a lover of pleasure. She was never faithful, but clung to whatever flattered her the most. She was, therefore, extravagant in her pity when her sensitive compassion was aroused, and kind and condescending to all that appealed to her senses by some external show. Her mother had had some share in Magdalene's faulty education, and that sympathetic softness the child had inherited from her. Magdalene was spoiled by her mother and her nurse. They showed her off everywhere, caused her cleverness and pretty little ways to be admired, and sat much with her dressed up at the window. That window sitting was the chief cause of her ruin. I saw her at the window and on the terraces of the house, upon a magnificent seat of carpets and cushions, where she could be seen in all her splendor from the street. She used to steal sweetmeats and take them to other children in the garden of the castle. Even in her ninth year, she was engaged in love affairs. With her developing talents and beauty, increased also the talk and admiration they excited. She had crowds of companions, she was taught, and she wrote love verses on little rolls of parchment. I saw her while so engaged counting on her fingers. She sent these verses around and exchanged them with her lovers. Her fame spread on all sides, and she was exceedingly admired. But I never saw that she either really loved or was loved. It was all, on her part at least, vanity, frivolity, self-adoration, and confidence in her own beauty. I saw her a scandal to her brother and sisters, whom she despised, and of whom she was ashamed on account of their simple life. When the patrimony was divided, the castle of Magdalene fell by lot to Magdalene. It was a very beautiful holding. Magdalene had often gone there with her family when she was a very young child, and she had always entertained a special preference for it. She was only about eleven years old when, with a large household of servants, men, and maids, she retired thither and set up a splendid establishment for herself. Magdalene was a fortified place, consisting of several castles, public buildings, and large squares of groves and gardens. It was eight hours east of Nazareth, about three from Capernaum, and one and a half from Seda toward the south, and about a mile from the lake of Gennesareth. It was built on a slope of the mountain and extended down into the valley which stretches off toward the lake and around its shores.
One of those castles belonged to Herod. He possessed a still larger one in the fertile region of Gennesareth. Some of his soldiers were stationed in Magdalene, and they contributed their share to the general demoralization. The officers were on intimate terms with Magdalene. There were, besides the troops, about 200 people in Magdalene, chiefly officials, master builders, and servants. There was no synagogue in the place. The people went to the one at Peseda. The castle of Magdalene was the highest and most magnificent of all. From its roof one could see across the Sea of Galilee to the opposite shore. Five roads led to Magdalene, and on every one, at one half hour's distance from the well-fortified place, stood a tower built over an arch. It was like a watchtower, whence could be seen far into the distance. These towers had no connection with one another. They rose out of a country covered with gardens, fields, and meadows. Magdalene had men servants and maids, fields and herds, but a very disorderly household. All went to rack and ruin. Through the wild ravine at the head of which Magdalene lay, far up on the height, flowed a little stream to the lake. Around its banks was a quantity of game, for from the three deserts continuous to the valley the wild beasts came down to drink. Herod used to hunt here. He had also near his castle in the country of Genesareth a park filled with game. The country of Genesareth began between Tiberias and Terrakia, about four hours' distance from Capernaum. It extended from the sea three hours inland and to the south around Terrakia to the mouth of the Jordan. The rising valley with the baths near Bethulia, artificially formed from a brook nearby, lay contiguous to this region and was watered by streams flowing to the sea. This brook formed in its course several artificial lakes and waterfalls in different parts of the beautiful district, which consisted entirely of gardens, villas, castles, parks, walks, orchards, and vineyards. The whole year round found it teeming with blossoms and fruits. The rich ones of the land, and especially of Jerusalem, had here their villas and gardens, Every portion was under cultivation, or laid off in pleasure grounds, groves, and verdant labyrinths, and adorned with walks winding around pyramidal hillocks. There were no large villages in this part of the country. The permanent residents were mostly gardeners and custodians of the property, also shepherds whose herds consisted of fine sheep and goats. There were besides all kinds of rare animals and birds under their care. No street ran through Magdalene, the two roads from the sea and from the Jordan met here. Part 3. Jesus in Hebron, Tothain, and Nazareth When Jesus arrived in Hebron, he left there his companions, saying that he was desirous of visiting a friend. Zachary and Elizabeth were no more. Jesus went to the wilderness which lay to the south of Hebron, between it and the Dead Sea, whither Elizabeth had taken the boy John. To reach it, one had to climb a mountain covered with white pebbles, and then cross a lovely valley of palm trees. I saw Jesus entering the wilderness and going into the cave to which John was first taken by Elizabeth. Then he crossed the little brook over which John had also passed. I saw him alone and in prayer, as if preparing for his teaching mission. When he left the desert, he went again to Hebron. I saw him as he journeyed, lending a helping hand everywhere along the road. At the Dead Sea, he helped some people who were on a kind of raft formed of beans and covered by an awning. On it were men, cattle, and merchandise. Jesus called to them and shoved a plank out to them from the shore. He helped them to land and stood by while they repaired their raft. 
they were at a loss as to who he was, for though there was nothing remarkable in his dress, yet his charming graciousness and dignity of bearing greatly impressed them. At first they thought it must be John the Baptist, who had already made his appearance at the Jordan, but they soon discovered their mistake, for John's complexion was brown, much darker than that of Jesus, and his whole appearance rough. Jesus celebrated the Sabbath in Hebron, and there dismissed his traveling companions. He visited the sick in their homes, consoling and assisting them in every way. He raised them in his arms, carried them, and made their beds, but I did not see him curing anyone. To all, he appeared to be a benevolent, a wonderful person. He visited the possessed, and they grew calm in his presence, though as yet he drove no devil out. Wherever he went, he rendered aid when aid was needed. He raised the fallen, he refreshed the thirsty, he guided the traveler over bridge and brook, and all looked in astonishment upon the kind-hearted wayfarer. From Hebron he went to the spot where the Jordan flows into the Dead Sea. Here he crossed the river in a boat and journeyed along its eastern bank to Galilee. I saw him traveling on between Pella and the country of Gergesa, making short journeys and helping all in need. He went to all the sick, even to the lepers, consoling them, raising them in his arms, making their beds, exhorting them to prayer, and pointing out to the admiration of all what treatment was necessary, what remedies to use in the different cases. At one place, some people knew of the prophecies of Simeon and Anna, and they questioned him as to whether he was the one to whom they referred. It was a common thing for people to follow him from one place to another out of the love he inspired, the possessed were calm when near him. He went also to the rapid little stream that flows into the Jordan below the Sea of Galilee, the Haramex, not far from that steep mountain from which he subsequently cast the swine into the sea. Near the river stood a row of little mud huts like shepherd's huts, which were occupied by the men who were at that moment on the shore laboring at their barks. They could not succeed in their work. I saw Jesus go up to them, make some suggestions in a friendly way, drag a beam to the spot, and put his hand to the work. He pointed out various expedients, and as he worked, exhorted them to patience and charity. After that, I saw Jesus in Dothane, a scattered little place northeast of Sepphoris, and in which there was a synagogue. The inhabitants were not bad, though very much neglected. Abraham had once owned fields there for his cattle intended for offerings. Joseph and his brethren used to guard their flocks in this same region, and it was here that the former was sold. Dothane, at the time of our Lord, was but a sparsely settled place, but its soil was good and its meadows extended down to the Sea of Galilee. It contained a large building like a madhouse, in which many possessed lived. On Jesus' arrival, they became perfectly furious and dashed themselves almost to death. The keepers could not bind them. Jesus entered and spoke to them. They became quite calm. He addressed to them a few more words, after which they quietly left the house and repaired to their several homes. The people were amazed at what they saw. They were unwilling for Jesus to depart, and one of them invited him to a marriage feast. I saw all the wedding ceremonies as at Cana. Jesus, Jesus was like an honored stranger at the feast. He spoke wisely and graciously, giving the bride and groom good advice. They afterward joined his disciples when Jesus appeared upon Thebes. When Jesus returned to Nazareth, he went around among his parents' acquaintances, but he was everywhere coldly received. When he sought to enter the synagogue in order to teach, they turned him away. 
Then he repaired to the public marketplace and spoke of the Messiah to the crowd, of whom some were Sadducees, others Pharisees. He told them that the Messiah would be different from what each one's ideas pictured. John the Baptist he called the voice in the wilderness. Two youths, clothed in long garments and wearing girdles like priests, had followed Jesus from the country of Hebron, but they went not always with him. Jesus kept the Sabbath in Nazareth. After that I saw Jesus and Mary, Mary Cleophas, the parents of Parmenas, and all about twenty persons leaving Nazareth and go to Capernaum. They had with them asses laden with baggage. The house in Nazareth had been cleaned and adorned. It was so well arranged that, with its rich hangings, it reminded me of a church. It was left unoccupied. The third husband of Mary Cleophas and some of her sons still carried on business in Anne's abode, and they took care of that house of the Holy Family. Mary Cleophas, with her youngest sons, Hoses, Barsabbas, and Simeon, dwelt at this time quite near to the small house not far from Capernaum, which Levi had fitted up for the Lord, and the parents of Parmenas lived at no great distance. Jesus journeyed again from place to place, and appeared chiefly where John had been when he left the desert. He entered the synagogue and instructed. He consoled and relieved the sick. When he taught in the synagogue of a certain little town, and spoke of John's baptism, of the coming of the Messiah, and of penance, the people murmured. They mocked him, and heard some of them say, Three months ago his father, the carpenter, was still alive. Then he worked with him. Now he has traveled a little, and back he comes to impart to us his wisdom. Jesus went also to Cana and taught. He had relatives there whom he visited. At this time he was not yet accompanied by any of his future disciples. It looked as if he were studying men and building up upon the foundation that John had laid. Sometimes a good man accompanied him from place to place. Once I saw four men, among them some of his future disciples, on the high road between Samaria and Nazareth. They were in a shady place waiting for Jesus who, with one companion, was coming that way. When he arrived in sight, they set forward to meet him. They told him that they had been baptized by John, and that he had spoken of the near coming of the Messiah. They told him also of John's severe language toward the soldiers, only a few of whom he had baptized. Among other things, he had said that it would be better to take the stones out of the Jordan and baptize them rather than such as they. I saw these disciples of John walking on with Jesus. Jesus then went along the Sea of Galilee toward the north. He spoke very plainly of the Messiah. In many places, the possessed cried after him. Out of one man he drove a devil, and he taught in the schools. Six men who were coming from the baptism of John met Jesus. Among them were Levi, known later as Matthew, and two sons of the widowed relatives of Elizabeth. They all knew Jesus, some through relationship, others by hearsay, and they strongly suspected, though they had had no assurance of it, that he was the one of whom John had spoken. They spoke of John, of Lazarus, and his sisters, especially of Magdalene. They supposed she had a devil, for she was already living apart from her family in the castle of Magdalene. These men accompanied Jesus and were filled with astonishment at his discourse. The aspirants to baptism, going from Galilee to John, used to tell him all that they knew and heard of Jesus, while they that came from Anon, where John baptized, used to tell Jesus all they knew of John. Jesus went alone to the sea, 
passing through a fence and into an enclosed fishery where lay five ships. On the shore were several huts for the accommodation of the fishermen. Peter, the owner of this fishery, was in one of the huts with Andrew, John, and James, with their father Zebedee, and several others were on the boats. In the middle one was Peter's father-in-law with his three sons. I once knew all their names, but now I have forgotten them. The father was surnamed Zelotes, because he had gained his point in a dispute with the Romans concerning the right of navigation on the lake. There were about thirty men on the boats. Jesus went along the shore by the fenced-off way, between the huts and the boats, speaking with Andrew and the others. I know not whether he spoke to Peter. They did not know him as yet. He spoke of John and of the near coming of the Messiah. Andrew was already a baptized disciple of John. Jesus told them that he would come to them again.